reading of the gospel today comes from Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mother. He is going to be with the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man come to seek and to save the lost. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I just want to welcome all of you today to Salem United Methodist Church. My name is Reverend Nick Savage. And if you're joining us here in person or online, we just want to tell you, God bless you. Wherever you're at right now in your walk with Christ and wherever you're physically at, if you're joining us from afar. In Pastor Terry's absence, I'm humbled to be here this morning to share the word of God with you. For those who may not heard, um, I, I would say she is in recovery but had had the um, virus. So if you hadn't heard that, she did come down with the virus but wanted to stay safe. And so make sure that um, she was fully recovered before she got back integrated into church business. Um, so it is my honor to be here today. I'm humbled to praise and worship and learn with you. We're in week three of Catch-22. And uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with this phrase, Pastor Tim gave us a modern example last week. Pastor Tim told us that a Catch-22 could be looked at like a person who's not yet had a job applying for a job in a place who only accepts folks with experience. I'd submit another example would be like applying for credit. A person looking to acquire credit will likely be rejected for having a lack of credit history. Jesus crossed the boundaries of society to minister to the outcast and the downtrodden. No matter the cost, the Bible is filled with stories of his healing. But Jesus' primary mission was not to heal the sick. No, it, it, his primary mission was to proclaim the coming of the kingdom of God, to create a community of people, to carry on his work of salvation, including his ministry of healing, of course. Still, he confronted a problem. There, there were all these sick people coming to him, and of course, he was compassionate. He didn't want to turn anyone away. They, in turn, couldn't keep quiet about what he had done for them. We call this a vicious cycle. He healed 
they spread the word, and therefore there were even more people healed. So even though healing was not his primary objective, people came in droves to be healed. It got so bad that he had to slip in and out of towns discreetly. It was interfering with what he had primarily come to do. See, this is a catch-22. He could not help caring about the people. They could not help telling the wonderful things, healing the leopard, the bleeding woman. To intensify matters, the, the Pharisees, the scribes, and teachers of the law continually challenged Jesus as his ministry gained popularity. So here we are in this week three of Catch-22. See what the word continues to unfold to us about Jesus and his love and, and his bringing salvation and what that means for us today. Would you pray with me? Lord, you are in this space. In this continued attempt of prayer, adoration, praise, and worship, though we know it's hardly adequate, we ask that you give our words and actions an increase through the power of your Holy Spirit, making the truth clear to your people, drawing us closer to your Son, our Messiah. In Jesus' name, let the church say, Amen. Today's scripture comes from a historic account. It comes from the book of Luke. And of course, we've heard sort of this catch-22 um, to give a little bit of a background or, or an account on what would have made this situation with Jesus and the tax collector such a predicament, why anyone would have muttered under their breath. I'll give us a little bit of a background. Um, nothing in first century Judea was quite so hated and despised as was the Romans and the tax that was collected by the Roman government. It not only reminded the Jews that they were subjugated people, but it also represented a theological insult. How, you might ask? Someone say, how? Wake up. To the Jews, there was only one king, and that was God, not Caesar. Paying tribute to an earthly non-Jewish monarch was something that the Hebrews had oppressed throughout their long history. But there was more. The, the dirty work of the tax collecting and the tax was not done by the Romans. It was actually done by collaborating Jews to make matters even worse, some of the money that they collected off the backs of their fellow countrymen stuck to their own fingers. And we are told that Zacchaeus was, Zacchaeus was a chief among these tax collectors. That is the only time in the New Testament that the term is used. It means that he was over an entire district. Zacchaeus may have been short in stature, but he had wealth and wealth meant power in that time. Zacchaeus was a little man with a big reputation. He was not just well-to-do, according to Luke. He was rich. And while you could say he was a rich man financially, he was also very poor in other ways. Being a chief tax collector, he would have had a fine house, fine furnishing, and probably no one to share with. So now somebody might be thinking, well, how was he poor? Somebody say, how? Being 
a chief tax collector might admit no friends, no confidence, no one to share joy, and here's why. The people would have looked upon him with complete contempt, one of their own betraying them to the Roman government. He would have been cut off from the religious community, cut off from worship, cut off from being in community with God, much like the lepers and the leper that we heard about a few weeks ago. At some point, Zacchaeus was so lost, forgiveness was possibly unlikely. These are our takeaways. Tax collectors in general were lost, but not forgotten part of society, causing harm to folks who are some of the same in culture. Thus, all the people saw this and began to mutter. He has gone to be with the guests of a sinner. It's clear that many followers of the law thought about Jesus and these tax collectors um, as, as sinners, someone who was totally going against the law, someone separated from God. And what is Jesus' response? It, it involves an exchange of, of repentance and forgiveness. What in the world was Jesus thinking? Have you ever heard that phrase? What in the world? Look around you. Look, look at everything right now inside of this place. Now imagine we go off to our jobs, we go off to our schools, we go off to our homes and we vacate. We go on drives, long drives, short drives, medium drives. We go on flights. We go on trains. All of those things are in the world, right? So when we say a phrase like, what in the world? What we're saying is, how did he come to this conclusion? What of all the things that you can see and all the things that you can think in a time where what he's doing is unthinkable, unseeable, what in the world was Jesus thinking? There's a parable just one chapter before that that helps us better understand where Jesus is coming from. And first, I want us to think this through a little bit. If we open our hearts and our minds to Scripture, it's usually very clear about a passage's purpose. For example, the famous first words of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 1 reads, well, say it with me. In the beginning, it screams a historic narrative, right? No questions here. Uh, another example would be like in the book of Micah. Um, we consider Micah a prophet. And in Micah chapter 1, verse 1, says, The word of the Lord that came to Micah screams prophecy, right? Um, or like in the Gospel of Luke the very first chapter, the very first verse. It says, Many have undertaken to draw up on an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Screams historic first and secondary in-person accounts, yes? 
In the previous chapter from our reading about Jesus and Zacchaeus today, Jesus tells a parable. Now today, parable may help us rethink what we thought we knew and rethink what we thought was true. I once heard a minister call parables earthly stories that identify heavenly truths. I believe this parable helped the folks in Jesus' day and will help us today. And perhaps equal to the actual content of the parable, today is why Jesus tells it. And scripture explains it so very plainly. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, read like this. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Pretty clear? Yeah? See, the mindset of these folks observing Zacchaeus would have been like those in this parable. And I think considering it's just a chapter before in his ministry, it's likely Jesus was trying to prime us. My wife and I were doing some redecorating um, and reconstruction. We've added a new um, restroom in our home to make things a little bit easier for all seven of us. And, and when we went to go paint the walls, the new walls, we had to prime the wall. We had to get rid of, fully get rid of the old color because the old color was red and the new color was blue. And so in order to really get the truest nature of the color that we had picked out, and we had spent so much time diligently looking at paint splotches, in order to get that to work, we had to prime the walls. So I believe Jesus is trying to prime a people for what is to come, for what could look like something out of this world that he is trying to bring into this world Verse 7 says, all the people saw this and began to mother. Why did Jesus teach us through this parable is clear. There are folks who aren't willing to see the humanity of others, folks who don't empathize with their separation from God. And so the parable goes, two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, the other, a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector, I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Amen. The Pharisee is seemingly following and even going beyond the written law. The law was meant for good, but as we've learned over this Catch-22 series, sometimes presented a stumbling block for the folks who were interpreting it. The parable goes on to say, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. This reminds me of the confession and forgiveness and justification in the exchange with Zacchaeus and Jesus. So the parable goes, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humbled themselves will be exalted. So what's our takeaway from this today? For us today, let's be reminded that seeing the humanity in someone or believing in their intrinsic value as unique, one-of-a-kind children of God has nothing to do with accepting and condoning all their behaviors or circumstances. 
Jesus understands this and suffers through the stereotype of a tax collector to invite him in relationship. And if you think about this for a moment, that's the only way such a character would even have a chance at being or becoming a moral human being, again, based on the laws and within the social construct. And in this parable, perhaps the humblest character is the one who is so far from God, his state of humility alone allows him to pray, acknowledging who God is versus a prayer about what he has or hasn't done like that of the Pharisee. Jesus brings God's justifying grace to humanity. Justification, John Wesley said, is another word for pardon. It is the forgiveness of all of our sins, our acceptance with God. Justifying grace is the assurance of forgiveness that comes from repentance, from turning towards God's grace, gracious gift of new life. It is beginning and being reconciled and realigned with God and the acceptance of God's atoning act in Jesus Christ. What other, what others would have been tempted to call irredeemable, unthinkable, Jesus saw a need and gave freely forgiveness. Reminds me of a song I think we know. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now is found. You can, you can finish it with me. Was blind, but now I see. Thank you, church. Yes. There was a study done by four research psychologists from the University of St. Andrews back in 2014. It revealed that motivated forgetting may not provide or may provide the key to understanding the effect of forgiveness. The study was under the title, Forgiving You is Hard, But Forgiving Seems Easy. Uh, Question, can forgiveness facilitate forgetting? Involved participants being given a series of hypothetical scenarios containing offenses such as infidelity, slander, theft, Participants were asked to evaluate the transgression and then decide whether they would forgive the transgressor. In a follow-up session, the same participants were presented with a subset of the original scenarios, pairing each scenario with a neutral keyword. Once learning the scenario cue pairings, participants were presented with some kind of keywords, written in either red or green, and instructed to recall the related scenario when the Q word was green and to avoid thinking about the scenario when the Q word was red or to actively try and forget. The results revealed that when the individuals have forgiven a transgressor, memories related to the offense become more susceptible to subsequent motivated forgetting. When individuals have not forgiven the transgressor, they are less successful in suppressing details related to the unforgiven incidents. Jeez, okay, just kidding. This result suggested that forgiveness may give people permission to forget. I think this is where that phrase comes from, okay? That is, when people are willing to forgive, they are willing to give up on the details of an episode. 
But when they are unwilling to forgive, they keep those details around. Presumably, they will also re-experience those details negatively when they remember them in the future. Obviously, none of this information was written down on tablets, and I can't help but read these notes and say the word tablet without thinking about the metaphor on what would have been written down in that day. Zacchaeus climbed that tree, and this kind of information had not been researched. Such a study is powerful. It's very rational. And, well, it's been proven by scientists. But how were the people among Jesus going to come to know this truth about forgiveness without this kind of in-depth and relatively modern research? The university proper was not around yet. Among the many miraculous things that Jesus brought to the world was forgiveness. Jesus' very nature brought about justice, as you've likely heard from Pastor Tim, not condemning or dismissing the law, but fulfilling it. Leaning on the law and cultural principles, the Pharisees and teachers of the law could not fathom that Jesus would allow to commune himself with sinners like Zacchaeus. Remember verse 7, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be with the guest of a sinner. But Jesus knew Zacchaeus and anyone that far removed from society and from God would need forgiveness. And he, yes, Jesus, was the way. He is the way. This encounter with Zacchaeus changed the world in the way we could see out of a life of sin and bondage. In no other way under the sun would a tax collector like Zacchaeus and the leper be brought back into loving God and their neighbor. Therefore, Jesus summarized the law into just these two laws when a group of challengers tested him about the law. The law written on our hearts, he said. A relationship with Christ impacts both our love and honor for God, our Father, and our neighbor. Jesus was the way for the tax collector and other sinners. He is the way for those who judged. Surely his parable and actions would have demonstrated a miracle in, in and of itself. He got them to think, what in the world, right? He got them to think their way out of what we might call something like legalism today, right? Can you imagine how folks who witnessed the justice would have felt to have encountered Zacchaeus pay back what he had taken fourfold? Unthinkable, unimaginable. Jesus is the way for us today. At this very moment, some of us may need forgiveness. Others are looking for strength to forgive. Today, the good news is wherever we're at, Jesus is the way, and he is the truth. He is the life who brings about salvation, seeking and saving the lost. Forgiveness through Christ was, is now, and will ever be. As we close, I would like to offer a prayer of confession. Now, now this is a prayer that John Wesley had issued. And it was a prayer on behalf of the congregation, but also the universal church as well. And so if you would join me in a, a posture of prayer as we close. Forgive our sins, O Lord, 
our sins of omission and our sins of commission, the sins of our youth and the sins of our riper years, the sins of our souls and the sins of our bodies, our secret and our more open sins, our sins of ignorance and surprise, and our more deliberate and presumptuous sins, the sins we have done to please ourselves, and the sins we have done to please others, the sins we know and remember, and the sins we have forgotten, the sins we have strived to hide from others, and the sins by which we have made others offended. Forgive them, O Lord, forgive them all for his sake, who died for our sins and rose for our justification, and now stands at thy right hand to make intercession for us. Jesus Christ, our Lord, and let the church say, Amen.